Thank you for tuning in to Valley Rise Church. We're so glad you decided to join us today. For more information on sermon series and service times, you can visit us online at valleyrisechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. That, that I would go, they go something like this. I hate when I do this, but I feel like I find myself doing it all the time. You have any of those areas that you look at and you go, why do I do this? I hate when I do this. And you find yourself in that conundrum that you're like, if I hate when I do this, then why do I do this? And this isn't a new question. This is something that people have been asking for years and years and years. It's something that Jesus actually addressed. And so today we're going to address it. And I'm going to show you how we can be free indeed. There's a big difference between being free and being free indeed. How many of you know that, that if you're, you can be free and not be free indeed? A lot of us are free, but there's areas of your life that are not free indeed. You can be, there's, there's a story of a guy that escaped from a prison and he's on the run and technically when that man got out of the prison, he is, he is free. But how many of you know that man is not free indeed? Because as soon as someone catches him, as soon as a police officer sees him, as soon as anyone reports him, he is now running again for his life. And many of us are that same way. We are free. We look free. We're Christians. We're going to heaven. We're saved. But there's area of our, of areas of our lives that are not free indeed. And so today, I want to teach you how we can be free indeed. Our theme verse for this whole series is Joshua 25. It's, as we've talked about how to prosper our family and how to live our lives, our family lives, in a godly way. But if you don't want to worship the Lord, then choose right now. Will you worship the same idols your ancestors did? Or since you're living on land that once belonged to the Amorites, maybe you'll worship their gods. I won't. My family and I are going to worship and obey the Lord. John 8, 31 today is where we're going to be out of. To the Jews who had believed in him. So Jesus is talking to people who believed in him. He's not talking to sinners. He's not talking to lost people. He is talking to people who believed in him, believed in Jesus. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So they're going to these people that have already believed in Jesus, and he's saying, listen, all of you are slaves in an area. And them, much like us at times, they didn't understand what Jesus was trying to say. And so they said, listen, we're not a slave. We've never been, we've never been slaves to anyone. We're the chosen people. And Jesus begins to tell them something that is, that is very key to this whole revelation of this message. Before any of us can be free indeed, we must first realize that there's area of our lives that's in bondage. That there is some area of our lives that we're slaves in. You know, they say the first step to, to recovery is admitting that you have a problem. And so I want to tell you, my name is Christian and I am an addict. I'm an addict. You go, well, God... I knew we shouldn't have come to this church, even the pastor's an addict. And all of us have an area of our lives that we're addicted to something, something unhealthy, something maybe we shouldn't be addicted to, something maybe we hate. I am addicted to sweet tarts. I could eat sweet tarts all day long. Chewy sweet tarts, I could eat them from the morning I wake up until the moment I go to bed. Any of you love chewy sweet tarts? Golly, they're so good. 
I'm addicted to movie theater popcorn, as you guys know. Sometimes people see me coming in and out theaters, and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, I'm just here for the popcorn. I just had to get some. Almost every Sunday afternoon, I go to the theater right there, get popcorn, go home. I know it's weird. Sorry, it's an addiction I have. I'm, I, there are areas of my lives that I'm addicted to my cell phone. And I know only me. I know only me has this addiction. So y'all don't need to just look at me judgmentally because y'all don't struggle with that. There are areas of my life that I am addicted in that in order for Jesus to bring freedom and in order for him to set me free and for me not to be a slave to it, I have to first realize I have a problem. All of us have problems. And if you don't have a problem, well, then that's your problem is that you think you don't have problems. And so today... We all have to realize that we are addicted in some area of our life. We have issues in some area of our lives. And so we begin the process of how do we deal with these addictions now? How do we deal with these issues? The things that maybe when I say you have an issue, the first thing that comes to your mind, the thing that you hate and you wish you didn't do, but you find yourself there over and over again. And so maybe you, maybe you do, like, like most of us, you make New Year's resolutions. Then you make New Year's resolutions and, okay, I'm not going to do this. And then you find yourself back there again two weeks in, three weeks in, a month in. and You, you, make, you make promises to yourself, okay, I'm not going to do this again. This is going to be the time it's different. If I, it takes everything in me, this is going to be the time it's different. And you find yourself there again and again. Why is that? I believe that Jesus gives us the answer. And, and, and I want to talk to you about three kinds of people. Three kinds of people that we're going to walk through and see how this plays out. Number one is the unspiritual person. Three kinds of people. Number one is the unspiritual person. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So what he first says is, listen, until your spirit comes alive, you have no chance at overcoming things of this world. Because we live in a carnal body. The word worldly in here is actually the word carnal, okay? So carnal is, is, is your flesh. It's the things that pull us, the desires of your flesh. You're hungry, you're thirsty, you're tired, you're sleepy. The things of the flesh. And without your spirit, you have no chance at even overcoming those things. Not only do we have no chance of overcoming them, but it says those who don't even have the spirit, that your spirit hasn't been woken up, it's the things of God seem even foolish to you. You ever talk to somebody about something maybe God has done in your life and it's like they just don't get it? Like they just don't, maybe even they mock you and they just go, that's stupid. I mean, how do you know that was God? How do you know that was, because until your spirit comes alive, we don't even have a chance at understanding the things of God. So the unspiritual person and the unspiritual person is how all of us were born. Each and every one of us were born unspiritual. As soon as we sinned, our spirit man died and we were, we, we were unspiritual from that point on until we were born again. It's what Jesus talks about with Nicodemus, the Pharisee. He says, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? Can I climb back into my mother and be born again? That doesn't make any sense. And Jesus goes, no, you're missing it. You've got to be born of the Spirit. All of us were born, but we have to be born of the Spirit and be born again for our spirit man to come alive. I like steaks. I don't know if you like steaks. Anyone like a good steak, a good ribeye? How many, let's do, I, this is just solely for me. How many of you are filet people? How many of you like a filet? That's your, when you go to, if you could order any, how many of you are ribeye people? Okay. All right, good. How many of you eat some other kind of steak that you like? Well, that's weird. There's only two. Okay. Ribeyes and filets. Um, and so I love a good steak. 
I love like Roos Chris. I, I like going to Roos Chris or Perry's. And Roos Chris, they bring that steak out at like 450 degrees. Okay, they think, that, and they tell you don't touch the plate. But what do you do? You always touch it to see if it's really actually hot. You know, I don't know if y'all ever do that. That's maybe it's just me. I'm like, how hot could it actually be? Um, and so they bring that thing out 450 degrees, and they put it on the plate, and it's sizzling in front of you. And how many of you know if you take that steak right off the grill and you walk into a funeral home? And you walk up to a casket and put it up under a dead person's nose. How many know they're not going to do anything? It's not, they're not going to sit up and go, my God, is that Ruth Chris? I mean, they're not going to do anything because they are dead. Just like that, when you are unspiritual, you can be around the most spiritual things ever. You can be around something amazing, God doing amazing things all around you, but nothing will happen. You won't even register with you because spiritually we're dead. And so he says the first kind is the, the unspiritual person that's a slave. Number two is the spiritual person. The spiritual person. 1 Corinthians 2.15 tells us the, the person with the spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So he says, listen, now that you're a spiritual person, you've been born again, your spirit is alive. Now you can actually judge on what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Because you have the power of the spirit of God living inside of you. You have the mind of Christ that is in you. And now you are able, as a spirit that is living, to make decisions and go, I don't want to do that. And I can now not do that because of the power of the spirit of God that lives inside of me. I just want to look at you today and tell you whatever area it is in your life, whatever area of, maybe it's one of the things we've talked about the last three weeks. Maybe it's your family, or maybe it's your finances, or maybe it's the chaos of your home, or the things that you want to put back in order and you can't. And whatever area of it is in your life that you find yourself addicted or find yourself unhealthy in, I want to give you hope today that you don't have to, you don't have to give in to those things. You are not subject to those things. There is a way that you can overcome them. Maybe some area of you have gotten, have gotten lost and hopeless and you've just kind of given in and said, okay, I guess this is just how it is. I guess I'm, I'm never going to be able to get over this. I'm always going to be like this. Maybe it's genetic or maybe it's just how my mom was and her mom was and this is how. And I want to tell you today that there is hope that you don't have to be like that, that you can choose another way, that you don't have to be a slave to sin that so easily entangles us, but you in the mind of Christ can choose to walk in freedom and to be free indeed. That's good news. Number three is the worldly person. I love this one because I think oftentimes a lot of us find ourselves here. The worldly person. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. So let me break this down for you. Paul is telling them, brothers and sisters, so these are people who are Christians. These are Christians. They're going to heaven. They're saved. They love Jesus. Their sins are forgiven. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly or carnal. So he's saying, listen, even though you're saved, you're going to heaven, you're a Christian, I can't address you by the spirit man because you're not living by the spirit man. You're still living by the carnal flesh, the worldly things, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? 
So he goes, listen, there's another group of us. There's, this, there's the person that's spiritually dead that needs Jesus. There's the person who's living by the Spirit and is able to judge and discern and can live by the mind of Christ. And then there's the person who is worldly. You're going to heaven. You love Jesus. You have a relationship with God. But because you are living more by the flesh than by the Spirit, you're unable to walk in freedom. Because true freedom comes from the Spirit, man. It doesn't come from the flesh. And so he's telling him, I can't even give you the things I really want to give you because you're not able to discern yet. You're living too much by your flesh. There was a man back in the day that made money by taking these two dogs to circuses to fight. He would take these two dogs, a white dog and a black dog, and he'd fight and, and, and everyone would bet on him. And he always bet on the winning dog. People would follow him everywhere, try to figure out how he always knew what dog would win. So one time a man began to follow him and he followed him around the country to see who, how, how can he tell? I'm going to figure out what his method is, what this trick is he's doing. So he follows him town to town, town to town. He gets all the way around the country and finally he goes up to him one night and he says, listen man, I've been following you around the country to see how you know what dog to bet on. I mean, every dime you bet, the dog you bet on wins. How is it possible that you can decide on any given night, right when I think it's the white dog that's going to win, the black dog wins. And right when I think the black dog is going to win, the white dog wins. And how is it that you decide which dog wins? And he said, it's very simple. The guy said, well, what do you mean it's very simple? He said, the dog that wins is the one that I feed the night before. All of us have these two things, these two entities inside of us that are battling each other. It is our flesh and it is our spirit. And whichever dog that we feed the most is what is going to win out. So the reason that oftentimes you go, God, why do I keep doing this? It's maybe because you're being worldly in an area or carnal in an area or feeding your flesh more than you're feeding your spirit. It's why we do 21 days of prayer at the beginning of the year and then we do 21 days of prayer, prayer and fasting in January and 20 days of prayer in August. All we do those to reset our mind, reset our spirit, to bring everything back into focus and go, okay, I'm going to reset my mind and recalibrate my spirit so that I am totally in tune with God, so that I can hear from him, so that I can understand what he's trying to speak to me, so that I can discern with my spirit and not just my flesh. Paul says we're, we're living worldly lives, and then he gives great examples. He says, is there not jealousy and quarreling among you? He gives a small example of, listen, are you not frustrated with people? Are you not quarreling? Are you not jealous of things? Because as long as you still have those desires in you, you're not walking by the Spirit. You ever see somebody, and it's a very big difference, people that are very good at walking in the Spirit. I'm not sure that I'm one of them yet. Maybe one day I will be. But when you get around people who are very, very good and very close with God, it's like things that make other people mad just don't make them mad. Somebody, I remember one time having a fight with a guy about, like, if someone broke in my home, like, would you, would you um, kill an attacker that broke in your home? And I'm like, yes, he's dead. No chance. I mean, he, and, and this other guy's like, no, man, I just couldn't do it. You know, I just, like, even if it cost me my life, I just would, I, you know, I trust that God would. And I'm like, you are crazy. Like, you are really, what, and he, I still think he's crazy, by the way. Don't let an attacker kill you in your house. But what he was saying was, that he was so in tune with God, he didn't want to do anything that would even throw off someone who was attacking him from, from his witness, from pushing him away from Jesus. And there's many times that you're in situations where maybe somebody does something that should make you mad and you see somebody that just says, oh man, just blow it. How do you blow that off? The more that we walk in the Spirit, the more that we're close to Jesus, the easier it is for us to let the worldly things fall away. 
So Jesus then gives us a problem and a solution. Matthew 17, 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And then Jesus replies, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. So he gives two problems here. You're unbelieving and you're perverse, he says. Unbelieving and perverse. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. So Jesus tells us there's two problems with this generation. Okay? And, and I imagine if they had that problem in their generation, that we probably have the same problems in our generation, if not more. He says, you're unbelieving and you're perverse. What does unbelieving mean? Really what he's saying is you're not connected to God. You're not connected to God. When you're unbelieving, you're not connected to God because the closer you get to God, the easier it is for your faith to trust in what God is going to do. I'll tell you a, a quick story. This week, we, um, uh, we had some extra bills that came up, and we're trying to pay them. And I'm going, how are we going to pay these bills? And, you know, um, and a lady, I'm at a meeting on Thursday, and a lady leans over, and she goes, I don't know what this means, but God just told me to tell you this. And she writes on a piece of paper, the Lord will provide. He's, God said he wants to provide for you. And so I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, do you have a check for me? Is that where, is, <laughs> how much does he want to provide for me? <laughs> And so I'm going, okay, I come home and I tell Alex, you know, hey, you know, the church has these expenses. We're going to trust God. We're going to trust God. And we're sitting at home the night, and she goes, how are you not stressed? And I just said, I just really believe that if God said he's going to do what he said he's going to do, he called us to do what we're doing, that, that he's going to provide. And then that woman said he was going to provide. The next day she wakes up, she goes, I just, I'm stressed. How are you not stressed? And I just go, I just really trust God. And, and I'm five years older than Alex, so many times me and Alex have a conversation where there's things that, that many of you know, there's a gap between 25 and 30 that for some reason is actually very significant. And there's things you learn between 25 and 30 that, that you, you, it's almost hard to understand before then. And I'll tell her, I'll go, listen, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe it's, maybe it's the five-year gap. God is just, I've had to trust in him so much that I know that if God said he's going to do it, that God's going to do it. Okay, we're getting closer now. Bills are due on Monday. We're getting closer. And I'm going, okay, God, I, I trust you. And Alex, every, every day Alex comes in, she's like, How are, are you okay? How are you not stressed, baby? I just believe that God's going to do what God said he was going to do. Last night, we're sitting there watching the game, and she goes, why are, you, why are you so quiet? I'm like, I'm just praying. Okay, well, are you stressed? Why do you keep asking me if I'm stressed, okay? I'm just believing God's going to do what God's going to do. You're stressing me out by asking me if I'm stressed, Okay. So to get out of the house, I go, I'm going to check the mail, okay? So I walk down there, I check the mail. I open up a letter. There's a letter from somebody, no name on the thing. I open it up, and it is a $10,000 check that someone sent to the church out of nowhere that I had no, I had no clue it was coming. And they said, God has blessed us tremendously since we started coming to Valley Rise, and we know it's no coincidence. We want to bless Valley Rise. I came in the door with that check. I was like, we we got my, Alex is like, what's going on? I tell her she's crying. What is that? It's the closer you are to Jesus and the more faith you have to put where it belongs, all of a sudden you begin to realize, God, you're actually going to do what you said you're going to do. I can believe when you say you're going to do something. When that gap gets bigger and bigger and the less time we spend with God and the further away we get from his voice and the further away we get from hearing him, the harder and harder it is to believe that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. 
He says, you don't believe. You're not connected to God. You're unbelieving. And then the second problem, he says, is that you're perverse. So you're not connected to God and you're perverse or you're too connected to the world. You're too connected to the world. So he says, there's two problems. The first problem is you're not connected to God enough. And the second problem is you're too connected to the world. Hey, let me ask you this. What area of your life are you too connected to the world in? What area of your life, if you were honest with yourself, would you say, I'm too connected to the world in this area? Maybe, maybe it's how much time you spend binge-watching Netflix, or, or maybe, it's how, maybe it's how much time you spend on the phone with people, or playing games. Or Listen, I can tell you, I love, I, I love paying, playing games. I was like PlayStation 4 when I was in the military. We would play Call of Duty for like... I, y'all are gonna, aren't going to believe me. We'd play for like eight hours straight on my off days. All my guys would get in a room, and you'd sit there eight hours. Alex would be like, how are y'all still here? I went shopping. I went to the mall. I went to school. I came home. Y'all are still in the same places. I was too connected, okay, to the PlayStation 4 for sure. There's areas that we can all look at and go, I'm too connected. Maybe it's not even a bad area. Maybe it's just an area that's too worldly, an area that is pulling away from you what God is trying to do in you. And I remember thinking one time, I'd played games and watched movies, and I picked up my Bible to read and read for about five minutes, and I thought, it's crazy how much time I give everything else in my life and how little time I sit down and give the one thing that really matters. How much time do we spend on worldly things? What area are you too connected to the world in? Jesus then gives us the solution. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private. Of course they did, because they were embarrassed. They couldn't cast out the demon. And asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So what is the solution to unbelieving? Number one, it's prayer. Prayer connects us to God. Prayer connects us to God. Many of us, and oftentimes, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, we don't really know how to pray a lot. We pray, and maybe, maybe no one's ever taught you to pray. Maybe the only prayer you've ever said is the Lord's Prayer. And maybe, maybe it's just awkward for you when you talk to God. You feel awkward when you talk to God sometimes? Okay, like, okay, God, all right. I need you, God, and money, God. And you ever feel awkward giving your list to God? Have you ever, have you ever prayed, and maybe you got up praying and thought, why did I even do that? That's... I don't even know if that worked. I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling and they're not even doing anything. I want to encourage you that talk to God like you do a best friend. I saw a poster one time and it said, prayer should be like a long car ride between two best friends. You talk just as much as you listen. And I want to encourage you in your time you spend with God, God's not afraid of what's inside of you. God's not scared of the areas you're weak in. You're not hiding anything from God. He sees the areas you mess up in. I encourage you, be vulnerable and be open with God. There's times I get before God and I go, God, I'm mad at you. God, why did you make me do this? God, why am I doing this? Why did this happen, God? Why did... Let me tell you, God's not scared of our tough questions. And I think a lot of times what stops us from praying is that we have these tough questions that we're a little scared of. God, maybe, maybe you don't even know how to answer this, God. Or maybe this happened to me and I don't know what to do with it, God. And I encourage you, bring all of that to him. The more open and vulnerable you can be in your prayer life, the larger your faith is going to grow, the more connected to God you will become. Prayer connects us to God. 
And then he says, fasting. Fasting disconnects us from the world. Fasting disconnects us from the world. In January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting, and it's awesome. Because we all fast different things. Some people fast social media or fast TV or fast food. or fast. Do you, I, I keep telling people I'm, I'm doing fast food. And they go like, oh, you're, you're fasting food. And I'm like, kind of. But like, I like fast food. Like, it's like fasting food, but it's fast food, you know. And they go, so you're just eating normally at McDonald's. I'm like, I'm guilty. Okay, I'm guilty. But we, all of us fast something different. But what happens is when you fast anything in your life that you're dependent on, It takes this flesh and it begins to shrink the flesh area and all of a sudden your spirit begins to grow because the more that you pray and the more that you fast, your spirit man begins to reach out and your flesh man begins to get quieter and quieter. Whatever you feed is what you're going to hear the loudest. So I encourage you, what area of your life could you fast something in? Maybe it's not food, maybe, maybe, but I do encourage you, if you're ever trying to hear from God and you really need to hear from God, I encourage you, take a day. Just fast one day. Pray. Every time you get hungry, turn your attention to God and pray. I promise you will be shocked at how clearly you begin to hear God. But what area of your life, in this season, going back into school and getting back into the chaos of holidays and all these things, could you look at and go, you know what, I could could fast this after 5 o'clock. I could come home and put this up after 5 o'clock and I'd probably be a lot better off. Hey, you know, I could fast, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm eating too much after 10 o'clock, and God, I, I, I could fast that. I could maybe not do this habit and fast that, or maybe I'm spending too much money here, and I could fast that. What area of your life that if you fasted, you would get more connected to God, that you would hear his voice more clearly? I encourage you, the way that you're going to let your spirit man grow and your flesh die is by getting close to Jesus. The closer that you get to Jesus, the larger your spirit man becomes and the smaller your flesh man becomes. So I want to give you three objectives of how to get close to Jesus. Three things. Number one, set your objective. James 4, 2 and 3, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Set your objective. Jesus goes, listen, whatever you ask, just ask it. How many of you, listen, if God's going to ask me, I got a list. I don't know about y'all, but I got a list of things that I'm going, okay, God, if you want to know, here's what I need. He's going, ask me. Just ask me for what you have not because you ask not. So I encourage you in this season of going, we're going to get our family in order. We're going to get our finances in order. We're going to get our relationships in order. We're going to get our home in order. Set your objective. Whatever it is, set your objective and go, God, this is the thing I need you to do in my life. This is the area I need freedom in. This is the mountain I need to overcome. This is the family member I'm praying for. This is the relationship I need restored. This is the miracle I need in my body. Whatever it is, set your objective before God. Set your objective. Number two, decide what you will do. Decide what you will do. It's not just enough to set our objective, but now that we set our objective, we've got to decide, okay, God, what does that require of me? So I know my objective, God, okay, here's my prayer list, and God, Valley Rise, I want to see you do something in Valley Rise, and I want to see people's lives change, and I want to see us grow in the community, and I want to get influence in the school, and, I want, and I've got this list in my mind. 
It's not just enough to put the list out there, though. I've got to begin to seek God. I've got to begin to do things. I've got to begin to step out. I've got to build relationships. I've got to, it requires some activity on our part. It requires action on our part. And God does everything he can do, and you do everything you can do, and a miracle happens. And so then you've got to look and go, okay, what can I do? So for me, I go, okay, you know what, I'm going to fast one day a week. I'm going to fast, God, and I'm going to put all my attention on you, and I'm going to pray over this list, and I'm going to believe that you're going to do something. You've got to decide what it is that you're going to do that allows you to get closer to Jesus. Set your objective. Decide what you will do. And then as we close, number three, expect results. Expect results. Isaiah 58, 8 through 9. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. I encourage you to expect results. Listen, there is something very powerful when you believe that God is actually going to do what he said he would do. I think oftentimes with God... We throw something out there and then we're surprised when God answers. You ever surprised when God answers you? God, if you could just do this, if you could just send someone to work that was lost, God, I would speak to them. Let them sit right here. If they could, God, if they were right here, I would witness to a lost person. And then the next day, all of a sudden, somebody shows up and they go, hey, I'm your new office mate and I hate Jesus. And you're like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> I actually was praying for this. Oftentimes, we're surprised when God does what he said he's going to do. But I encourage you, there's something about expecting results that moves the heart of God. There's something that, and, and any of you who are parents know, there's a different weight on me if I'm going to go pick up Eli from school and surprise him and take him to go do stuff, and if he's expecting me to pick him up from school and go take him to do stuff. How many of you know it's different? Because now I know he's at school waiting on me. He's there going, my dad said he was going to pick me up. He said he was going to be here. He said 245. And I promise you, if I tell him that, he's going to tell that teacher that from 9 in the morning until 2.45, okay? 2.45, my dad said he's come pick me up. What time is it? 11? He said 2.45. Is that, is that by 2.45? No, okay. He said he's going to come pick me up. He's expecting me to do what I said he was going to do. Not only is he putting pressure, but I feel that pressure. I'm driving around going, hey, I'm supposed to pick him up at 2.45. I know that I said I was going to pick him up at 2.45. He's going to be waiting. I love, I'm not going to let him wait in that office, okay? He's not going to show up there and me not be there ready to pick him up. He's waiting on me. He's waiting on me. It's 1130, okay? It's 12, okay? One, I got an hour to finish everything I knew because at 245, I told him I was going to be there. How many of you know when you put expectations on God, he is waiting to answer your requests? That he's walking around going, they said they needed this by Monday, and it's Sunday, and I know they think it's late, and I know they don't know how it's going to happen, and I know he's worried, and I know he's frustrated, and I know they got a time clock, and I know he's counting, but I'm going to come through because he's expecting me to come through. And some of you have been having prayer requests your whole life and things on your heart your whole life, but you've never expected God to do it, and so you've just held it in your heart. God, would you bring order to my family? If you could, maybe, that'd be great, God. That's not how we need to pray. God, I know you're going to bring order to my family. I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe it and I'm going to expect it, God. And when it happens, you're going to get all the credit and all the glory. God, I know you're going to restore my relationships. God, I know you're going to because you said you would. And I'm expecting it, God. And when you do it, you're going to get all the credit and all the glory. 
God, I know that my family in a modern world can be a beacon of hope and light for a lost world. Because you said it could be, God. Because you put purpose in my heart and a calling on my life. Because you put me right here exactly where I am. God, I know you can do it. I expect you to do it. And when you do it, you will get all the credit and all the glory for it. What area of your life is God just waiting for you to expect a miracle in? That he's just waiting for you to expect something great to happen. And I promise you, if you will set your objective if you will seek his face, if you will let your flesh shrink, if you will put to death your flesh, allow your spirit to grow large and expect him to do something amazing, you will be blown away at how faithful God is. People ask me in this process of starting a church, for those of you who are new, we started this church uh, January 28th, so that's seven, eight months ago. And the people always ask me, what's the hardest part about starting a church? Or what would you have done differently when you started a church? Or what, what things didn't you expect when you started? And I tell everyone the same thing. If I would have known how much prayer actually worked before I started this church, I would have prayed different my entire life. I didn't realize how much it worked until I actually really, really needed it. But if I would have realized that it worked this much, I would have been doing it my whole life. So I encourage you, be desperate for God. If you want to live a godly life in a modern world, if you want your family to be a beacon of hope for people, I encourage you, make prayer where you set your heart and your mind. Spend time with Jesus. It'll change your school, it'll change your families, it'll change your work environment, it'll change your relationships, it'll change your marriage. Seek after Jesus with all your heart, and the more you do, the greater your spirit will grow and the more your flesh will shrink. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear God, thank you so much for every single person here. Thank you, God, that you truly are a God that listens. You're a God that hears. You're a God that is waiting to answer our prayers. You're a God that does more. You're a God that does above and beyond what we could ever think, ask, or imagine. God, we're so grateful. Thank you, Jesus that you are waiting to hear our cries. You're waiting to hear our prayer requests. Not one prayer we've prayed has ever gone unnoticed. Not one tear we've cried has ever gone unnoticed. But that you love to collect those and you're just waiting to pour out blessings upon us, God. But it takes us asking and us expecting that you're going to show up. We're so thankful, Jesus. We don't serve a God who's distant, but a God who's near and who is waiting to provide for us, who's jealous over providing for us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we talk today about the unspiritual person and about being spiritually dead, there may be some of you here today that you go, Christian, that's me. I've never, my spirit man has never been born again. I've never encountered that change from death to life. I've never encountered it. But today I want to encounter it. I want my spirit to come alive. I want to understand the things of God. I want to stop living by my flesh. If that's you and you say today, Christian, I want to make a decision to be born again, to become a follower of Jesus, with every head bowed and every eye closed, is between you and Jesus. Would you raise your hand for me? Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. Now we're going to pray this prayer, and you can pray it out loud. You can pray it under your breath. What matters is that you mean it. You can pray it in your heart. This is between you and Jesus, but I ask that you mean it. 
Would you repeat after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize how much I need you. I, I see that you came from heaven to live the life I could never live and to die a death that I deserved to pay my sin bill so that I could walk in freedom. That you rose from the dead to give me new life in you. Today, Lord Jesus, I choose to be born again. To put my hope and my trust in you. To believe that you are the Son of God. And to walk in the freedom that you give. Today, Jesus, I choose you. Now, God, I pray for every single person who just prayed that prayer. I pray that you would awaken their spirit inside of them. That they would experience new life this week. That they would experience the joy and peace that come in a new life with you. That they would encounter, God, a relationship with you like they could have never imagined. That you would wrap your arms around them. You would be close to them this week. You would guide and protect and direct them, God. I pray that you watch over every single person here. Thank you for them. Thank you that we get to worship together, God. We get to encounter an amazing Jesus. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Valley Rise Church. We hope you enjoy today's message and we'll see you soon.